Welcome to Movie Left, a movie review podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montrulo, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's happening? Uh, it's Thanksgiving Eve, um, and in Chicagoland, shit is going fucking crazy. Uh, I went to the grocery store about an hour and a half ago, and that was a mistake. <laughs> oh, God, why, why would you subject yourself to that? I mean, I didn't want to try to go tomorrow when it's Thanksgiving, so I, I like everything else. Decided to go to the grocery store the day before to stock up on all the things. Um, I get in the grocery store and I, immediately I see like something's very wrong. <laughs> um, the the line for the four self-checkout stations is the entire length of the building. Oh, it went from the front of the building all the way to the back of the building. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I only want to get two things here. So I'm not waiting around for this shit. So... I, you know, walked all the way to like the CVS, which is actually close to my house. But I just I was like, fuck this. I'm like, I'm going to be standing here for half an hour and I'm doing I don't have time for that. Uh, and the CVS was only like slightly less shitty, but I was in and out in, you know, a quick 15 minutes to get the two items I needed, <laughs> which is a miracle, <laughs> that fucking place. So, right. yeah, it's a madhouse out there. Uh, people crashing their cars into shit, other cars, other people. It's just fucking it's a mess. Yeah. I don't know why people drive in the city, but uh, you shouldn't. What do you live in a city for? You live in a city so you can walk to the grocery store because it's right there. And they're, they're fucking one on every every 10 blocks is another one. So what the fuck are you driving for? Anyway, I'm not going to get into that much of a rant right now about that. If you want to drive, go live in the deserts in California. <laughs> go go buy a fucking horse ranch in the desert it, it, in California. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's that's where they're useful. Not when yes. you are you know have 22,000 people per square mile in a neighborhood. <laughs> um, although I got to be honest, I would definitely love to just live in a place where I could just travel on horseback everywhere. That would be fucking awesome. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, till it rains. Till it rains. Yeah, and then you yeah. then you have a, a giant wet mammal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm actually I'm. <laughs> I, I, horses have like a, not that they have like a set weight limit, but I think it, after a certain point, it's a little bit of cruelty. So I, I would really have to get like a a real stout fucking horse. And, and at that point it'd be like, do I really want to learn to ride a horse? That's like a, one of the, you know, fucking big ass, like crazy fucking Broncos or like, seriously. Uh, but um, I think, I think Taft rode a horse too, which that definitely would be cruel. That guy was yeah, no, that, fat as fuck. Right. <laughs> right. The poor fucking horse. We had, we had like a, like a string of really fat presidents to there for a while, right? Around like the, the end of the 1800s, early Cleveland, 1900s. Yeah. Uh, the first Roosevelt, the really racist one. Um, yeah, yeah, just just big bloated fat fuckers. McKinley, McKinley was a fat fucker. He got fucking yeah. shot and was so fat they couldn't get the bullet out. Did you know that? <laughs> no. Yeah, it took him a week to die from fucking sepsis because they couldn't get the bullet out because he was too fat. Damn. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's why anarchists got banned in the United States too. By the way, <laughs> where like if you came over, if you came over to Ellis Island, you know, there's like a list of questions they would ask you before you were like allowed to just come be a citizen. And it, this is—I don't know if this is actually true. This part of it, but one of the questions was, "Are you an anarchist?" And if they answered yes or no, they were rejected. They were only allowed to answer. Oh, if they didn't I don't, know, what I don't know what that is. Uh, so everyone, everyone, tur- uh, like you know, just basically was like, I've never heard of such a thing. Even though like everyone knew what the fuck anarchists were, <laughs> right, right. it was like anarchists just killed the fucking president. So pretty sure we all have heard about this. Wow. 
That's yeah. So whether, whether that actually that part of it is true, I don't know. But I'm sure that was part of the question. Like, sounds it sounds a little apocryphal, <laughs> but I'm sure maybe it happened once or twice, and then it became like, a, oh, every time yeah. somebody came, it became one of those things. Um, but that's right, that's right. funny. Um, are you now, or are you ever? <laughs> right. <president>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Oh man, that'll, that'll be coming back soon. I'm sure. The well, they also didn't believe in like security back then. They were like, oh, I'm the president. I'm the most famous man in the world. Who would ever want to harm me? I'm, you know, it's, it's like, uh, yeah, all, I, I think all the JFK nations that to you really fucking took like, over. Yeah. It took JFK to really be like, yeah, we, we, we need to treat the president like the Pope and just like fucking ride him around in a giant, you know, a glass fucking cube at all times. Like we don't basically when, when he's out in public, he needs to not be exposed. Uh, but yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously that we're here to review Nope uh, this week, which uh, came out on VOD on on Peacock like for free. Sort of, I think it actually was even on their free version. I have a, I have like the the low level premium version, but yeah. I'm pretty sure it was just out on their free version. So anyone huh. anyone who hasn't watched it yet, just stop this and go watch it, and then come back to this. Well, I had to dig for the email where you sent me the bootleg because apparently you sent it to me all the way back in August. Um, so you know, I had to you know. Go find complete, the completely downloaded, completely legitimate copy that I was gifted by Jordan Peele. Um, well, yes. I I was actually worried though because it didn't start playing right away, and I was like, "Oh shit! Did it already get nuked? Did it already right. get zucked?" <laughs> so um, it actually did play fine though after a second of, of loading. Yeah. I actually watched it on Peacock just because it's a little higher res. The 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 perfectly legal copy that I had initially was, I think, a little bit of like a rip or an encode, so it was. The night scenes, especially, were a lot more crisp. I think when I was when I was watching it in, on Peacock, because it's like the yeah, I definitely noticed some of the, like the nighttime cloud shots. Like they would get a little, really little rough, little pixelated here yeah, and there. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a little like um, watching uh, the Battle of Winterfell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and and honestly, I I appreciated even more. And you know, we talked about it on, on a previous episode, but the sort of day to, day for night technology they used to shoot all the night scenes where they shot them in broad daylight. And just completely frame frame for frame matched uh, like a red camera with an actual like just old, you know, uh, film camera. And we're able to to really just, you know, completely um, sync them up to the point where they could simulate that night shot, but in full daylight. So they had the full tonality and all the all the contrasts like that they could you know play with versus just it that info just doesn't exist if you sh- really shoot that shit at night right. so that was that but you bet with with the really high i think it was 4k maybe it was 1080 i don't know streaming's kind of weird but um it looked fucking amazing i was like wow yeah just, yeah really really just top-notch shit yeah and, and daniel kaluuya is a really dark-skinned guy too so they really well, you, you have you to know, really to... be cra- like you know careful how you like and that's that's something that jordan peele you know fundamentally understands that maybe a lot of white directors would just be like ah, oh, whatever we'll figure it right. out just you know that you don't you, you know they don't think of things like but, that. But, you know, you know, and the thing is, like, the, those scenes are all lit by moonlight, too. But he's also wearing a, you know, very large build trucker cap in a lot of them. So his his whole face is in shadow, and he's black, and it's fucking night as shit. Right. It, 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 <laughs> so, it's an incredible degree of difficulty under normal circumstances. So he had to get, you know, creative with, with the way he shot it. Um, and there are no lights from Jean Jacket, because obviously, if you've seen the movie. Not a flying uh, saucer. Not a fucking flying saucer, right? I don't uh, even know if it's and, a he. We don't know. It could just, just yeah. Don't really, just, sorry, we don't yeah, know a whole yeah, lot. I don't want to miss. I don't want to misgender Jean Jacket. I apologize, but <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I do have a, I do have one little fun fact I wanted to drop here that um when they were doing research for uh 
the film when he was coming up with ideas of like what what animals to base it on um you know and it, when it's when it's in its sort of like saucer shape thing it was basically yeah. like just a, a sand dollar which is a a sea urchin um yeah. and they move very very slowly um but he also enlisted the help of consultants including marine biologist kelsey rutledge to help bring the creature known in the film as jean jacket to life she even gave it a scientific name oculani nimbus edoquus Meaning <laughs> hidden dark cloud stallion eater. What? <laughs> That's great. Hidden That's dark cloud stallion eater. <laughs> Super nerdy science people usually have good senses of humor about shit like that. But that's, oh, they're great about good. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but and and you know that's the great thing about this movie and the interesting thing about this movie is they never and uh, you know how could they obviously but they never delve into the origins of of Jean Jacket so it's very much like a is it an alien is it just a fucking you know like earth based creature that's never been like an an undiscovered species that somehow managed to avoid detection i mean that's that's, all of his films have an element of that of like a giant huge thing that doesn't get explained that doesn't need to be explained which is great and i love that and that's that's his love of the twilight zone and love of the fucking just weird fiction that he's always grown up appreciating and the fact that they don't feel the need to hold the audience's hand and they just you know set the rules of the universe that you're operating within and just say here this is what it is you deal with it it's not like people being like how is this happening it's just like oh well here's the thing we got to deal with now yeah it's funny how some things are like that get called bad writing and other things don't (laughs) like like how how it's acceptable for some shows to have things some things just be unknowable to the characters in that world so they don't get explained to the audience either right (laughs) right or or even scenes where people ponder things that aren't knowable and decide that they're just unknowable to them like they've thought about it you had a scene where people think about a thing can't figure it out and then move on with their life (laughs) you know well that was Um, what fucking lindelof learned after the lost debacle he was like you know just fucking let the mystery be and that was the whole theme of the leftovers is like has this happened nobody fucking knows who gives a shit just watch the show like we don't even know if it's real or not and it doesn't matter right it doesn't (laughs) fucking matter it's it's real enough to some people and not real enough to other. if it's real to you that's all that matters basically was the answer from that the finale of that so i mean we we live in a world where you know they came out with a movie where a meteor is gonna fucking split the planet in half and half the country wanted to pretend it didn't exist. And the other country was convinced that if it did exist, it'll be a good thing for some reason. It's right. It would bring jobs. And that movie made people mad because it it, it like hit too close to home. It it was, wasn't satirical enough. It was too much like real life. That's the world we live in. (laughs) They wanted to pretend it was ridiculous, but right. The actual problem was that it was very deeply depressing on a, on a, you know, subterranean level because it was like, Oh no, this is exactly what would happen and is happening right now just you know it's like it's like going to your doctor and your doctor tells you you have to quit smoking or it's going to kill you like tomorrow and you're gonna be like like that that why are you being so negative (laughs) like it's (laughs) going you're going to die do you understand that my grandpa smoked for 117 years and he's fine like look at him i I did read it for a fucking you know little box but whatever he's fine I did read that there there are some uh, like immuno responses that uh, like lifetime smokers can develop that actually do keep some people alive, but it's but it's like they can never stop smoking. If they stop smoking, that response will go away, and then they will get cancer. That the, the study I was reading about was saying that. Um, yeah, but no, but so yeah, I mean that I think is the interesting thing. You know, one of the interesting things about the origin of the creature is that 
to me, like looking at it and how frail we see it actually is, you know, by the end of the movie, I can't imagine something like that surviving inter interdimensional or interstellar travel. Um, you know, especially when it just got fucking... lost. I mean, you know, what what did what are the aliens in uh, signs think they were going to do the first time? It well, no, I don't. I don't mean in ter- <laughs> right. No, I don't mean in terms. I just mean like physically, it doesn't seem like the, the, its body would hold up to the rigors of space flight. Like I don't think that thing could make entry through the Earth's atmosphere. Like, yeah, it kind of seemed like it needs the wind to move around in r- a way. R- oh, right, and which you know, I don't know. I mean. Cosmic wind and wind are not, the, you know, like I don't, it just seemed like an. It could just it could be like ET, where it came down here in an actual ship, and then the ship left, and it's just stuck behind, but it can fly, you know. Oh no, that's possible. I like I like that. I like that we don't know, and I like that it's yeah. it's interesting to me to think about though things like that, and I, I like the fact that they brought in marine biologists because maybe this was something that was was water based, and you know, it, it, who knows? Like what the fuck? They could who knows? Could have could. I mean, it certainly can change its, change its form. Um, although it is kind of weird that you know that um, you know it apparently can eat anything and then spit it back out unless it's a balloon. <laughs> Which... <laughs> well, no, so it, it only can eat, and and this was I think one of the things I read in one of the interviews with with some of the scientists that sort of helped to design it. It only eats organic matter, so it had issues with. The, the training horse that was what was lodged in its fucking in its gullet like it in the so we're jumping all around and we'll, we'll we'll start a little bit more from the beginning eventually but so in that's in the star lasso experience scene when it when it fucking swallows up everybody that's what that one lady who we follow up the its digestive tract is like screaming and she kind of like gets stopped and she stopped up against the the uh, training horse, which is stuck right. in its like digestive system or whatever. I thought it was is... just like a decorative statue. I don't really. Well, Jupe calls it a training horse. I don't know what the fuck they use gotcha. to train for, but but yeah. yeah. So that wow. yeah, the statue, the big horse statue, right. um, and 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 that's why potential and which the scene that follows that, which is the the other most harrowing fucking scene in the movie, uh, with the with the raining blood on the house fucking scene. Um, just, just incredible shit. When you realize what's actually going on, you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, it, which is why that like people like e- that's either jean jacket, like throwing up because it's got something lodged in its throat or it's an intimidation display or both. Like it's one of the two, but it's, you know, seemed a bit of both. Seems it, a bit that's of both. what I mean. Like it's, it's definitely it's, got a little element of both, it's, but yeah, it's clearly not hiding anymore. And, um, is being very ter- uh, territorial. So one of the one of the things this is just kind of something I want to toss out here is the kind of the broad theme of the film um, that I really appreciate uh, that isn't talked about enough is how much this film really is about all animals, right? And about human behavior and animal behavior being essentially the same, right? right. And there's that line that you pointed out when you know the scene um, when uh, so, right, Jean Jacket. I... What's oh, that? We... No, yeah. So, are you talking about the thing I was I texted you earlier? Yeah. So, uh, uh, Ricky Jupe Park's wife—I uh, don't have her name up here—says um, something about or says something to the audience. Um, what, what was the line? So, that? so yeah. So they're so they're setting up. You know, the 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 he's he's going through his spiel, and it's clearly the first time he's doing it in front of people. Um, which which you don't know at first because he's here and practicing off in the distance in the earlier scene, but. Um, he's going through his spiel and um, all of a sudden Jean Jacket appears on the horizon, like way like, you know, in a way that he was not expecting uh, it to do. 
And so he opens up the gate and he tries to get the horse to go, but the horse won't go. And she says, um, uh, fuck, where is it? Oh, uh, she, she's, she says to the crowd to calm him down, like, oh, bear with us now. Animals can be unpredictable. Um, right. Which right. It's funny <laughs> because she's, you know, talking about the horse, but you know, it obviously would, I don't want to say apply to jean jacket because if you know what jean jackets rules are, it's not unpredictable, but well, that's it, the whole thing. It's that's an the irony. Whole thesis you know, of the film though, that is right. the entire thesis of the film that this, this kid on this child star, on you know, this, on the show watched the casket massacred, but he somehow wasn't. And he learns the wrong lesson. The lesson he, he learns he, is right. that he's special and that he can tame predators. And it's that hubris that gets him killed. And his wife believes 100%. it too. Right. And the idea that these animals are acting unpredictably is completely false. And right. it, the reason why um, why OJ is successful in fighting this thing off is because he knows these animals aren't predictable. They're very predictable to him. From the horse to the chimp to the alien monster, he understands animal behavior. He understands Which- that... Any, any animal, no matter if it's from, you know, any animal that he knows, if you stare it in the eye, they consider that to be a threat and they may right. fucking try to kick you, <laughs> <laughs> which is just I, I, just an incredible, you know, thing that you realize upon, you know, second watch, especially. I mean, you realize it upon the first watch, but once you really know the true nature of Jean Jack and you watch from the beginning, you realize, like, like you said, this is just a tale of, you know respect for animals basically because the protagonist of the film manages to outsmart this fucking you know insane predatory threat you know what we would view as an insane predatory threat because it's something that's higher than us on the food chain because he's worked with animals and he knows to respect them and understand what um what triggers them and what response what triggers responses from them and how to exactly approach them it's even funnier just specifically when she says it about the horse, because I mean, it's like, no, the, the animal's not doing what you want it to. That's not unpredictable. It knows there's a threat and it feels safer in that little glass <laughs> right. case. It, right. so I'm not I mean, fucking going out there, you know? <laughs> right. And, you know, presumably he's been, you know, he's, he's done the practice runs with the horse. So we saw, you know, when, when ghost takes off uh, and OJ kind of walks down towards there and you see that he's got the lights on, on his stage, and you see that little wind funnel, but we don't know, you know, yet at that point what what's happening there. Right. But we know, you know, later on, you realize that, oh, he was doing test runs with the horse, you know, killing off these horses he was being, that were being sold to him in preparation to have this public performance. And, you know, clearly didn't go the way he thought it was going to go based on his trial runs. But, you right, know, which yeah, OJ I mean, had no idea, like why he was like, oh, man, this guy's buying a lot of fucking horses. Like he's like, right. oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll buy some back from you eventually. I just kind of want to talk but about I mean, that. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, sure. Horses are very social animals and they would notice if one of their own was suddenly missing. And, you know, if they're hearing the screams of it being sucked up into the air, uh, they would be very aware of what the fuck was going on. Well, and also th- I think the other well, not issue, but the reason that a lot of the other ones were eaten is because I'm sure he just sent them running off into the distance and what was happening was that jean jacket was then coming out of its natural sort of camouflage of the cloud and sucking it up then it wasn't a matter of you could see it before you know the horses weren't able to see it until it was too late previously i think he was just sending them off but if you're a horse and you hear another horse you know shrieking oh sure you're gonna know what that sound is and you're gonna be like (laughs) okay some there's a there's a predator nearby and you know it's it but, clearly, you know, like it yeah. didn't it didn't get eaten because it didn't look up at the thing that all the people were looking up at. And 
this thing was like, oh, these are easier targets because they're not in a little glass cage and they're all fucking staring at me and taking my picture. <laughs> so, right. Um, um, I, I just think that that's, you know, especially with, with people that didn't understand, like, what was the whole thing with the chimpanzee? You know, like th- that that whole thing like that. That's these, he's setting up the premise of the film for you and you're not even realizing it. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's, well, it's that's, simple. That's why we keep flashing back to the Gordy's home scene. I mean, that's, you know, and when you finally see it sort of halfway through the movie, right before the Star Lasso experience, uh, very, you know, significant placement in the film. Um, which by the way, another just really clever little like Jordan Peele, you know, you know, showing his, his fucking, uh, showing off a little bit, uh, w- w- the line he says, you know, about an hour from now, you'll have leave here seeing an incredible spectacle, something to that effect to the crowd, which is about an hour from the end of the, almost exactly an hour to the second from the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, just, just one of those funny little, you know, director things. Um, but, uh, but that's an, obviously the other major um theme of of the movie is spectacle and that was something jordan peele talked about a lot um on a more meta level because of because of covid and the sort of circumstances around movie making uh when he made this he made this you know sort of right during the peak you know sort of portion of it started at least making this during peak covid and you know movie theaters weren't open and he wasn't you know sure what was going to happen uh you know people weren't sure what was going to happen with movie theaters and uh he really wanted to just make a big blockbuster movie that you could you go and watch you know like a big summer blockbuster you could go and watch in a movie theater and be blown away by and that was like one of the things he kind of sort of set out to do i don't even think that they show blockbusters in movie theaters before this movie honestly huh (laughs) i'm just fucking with you um um but no yeah so he you know and that was like his stated goal and Obviously, he talks a lot about the the influence of Steven Spielberg on this movie, and I think that that you know, if you hear that offhandedly in an interview initially, you're like, oh, oh, so like Close Encounters. When you see the trailer, you're like, oh, great, so Close Encounters. This is going to be Close Encounters, you know. Which I think this in this movie in a lot of ways is like the 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 dark negative cousin of you know, like it's the the inverse. Well, so of, somebody somebody brought but, up in an interview that I was reading. Um, yeah with Jordan Peele that this movie is kind of like Spielberg's unmade film darks or uh, what is it called night skies, which was supposed to be a sequel to close encounters of the third kind. And uh, Jordan Peele had never heard of that. I've never heard of that. That sounds incredible. I couldn't believe that you're a film director and you'd never heard of this, the, the unmade sequel to close encounters of the third kind that Spielberg was developing. Um, so he's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, stop the interview. I need, I need to know about this. <laughs> right. No, I, I honestly had never heard of that either. Does that, um, it, it, so, it was just in development, but like, so it, what happened was really that after Jaws, uh, Universal made a bunch of terrible sequels to Jaws that people right. were going to attachment to. Right. And he was afraid they were going to do that again with a sequel to Close Encounters. So he's like, I don't want to make that, but I don't want someone else to make it badly. Right. He already didn't like what had been done with Jaws sequels. So he was like, okay, well, I'll fucking develop something and I'll find a director I like. Um, but it never actually happened. But parts of the script that he was working on or the, you know, the, the treatment he was working on later became uh, E.T. So oh, what wow. a different direction. But originally it was supposed to be a horror film. Um, so it kind of, like, he kind of, they kind of broke it up. Like it, part of it became uh, Poltergeist and part of it became E.T. So he oh, kind of wow. like, 
took took the scary stuff and the sweet stuff and put them in two different movies. So that's incredible. But speaking of which, yeah. have you ever seen another movie? This really reminds me of. Have you ever seen uh, Fire in the Sky? I think it came out in like the late eighties. That movie terrified the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I grew up out in the country where you know you step outside and there's fucking you know it's just all you see is stars and it's fucking dark and there's nobody else around for miles and there's woods everywhere. So for about mm, I'd say a month. Uh, after I watched that movie as a kid, I did not go outside at night. Just deeply, Period. viscerally disturbing the way they shot the the alien abduction scenes in that movie, and like the 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 you know the medical shit like that. Holy shit, that movie's fucked up, and I can't believe they aired that on television in the fucking eighties or nineties, whenever that. It aired. was all it was all psychological horror, but it was so much of it that I was at an age where I was like, "This is too much. This is I'm like, this is like an overload." No, it's still. Uh, I mean, if you watch it today, it's still like Jesus Christ. And that was really the feeling I got when I when I watched for the first time the the Star Lasso scene when when Jean Jacket, you know, j- just you know, swoops down. You don't know what's going on. Shot very again, Jordan Peele just you know, always knows kind of the right way to put these scenes together, but it, you know, you start to see the tornado and then it, the tornado sort of envelops troop and the screen cuts to black for like a good five seconds. And then all of a sudden you just flash smash cut to the fucking, it looks almost like balloons or pillows at first. You're like, what am I looking yeah, at? It looks like a bunch of people rolling around in some fucking sheets. You know? Right. I'm like, and then, what is which, this? which is actually what it was, I think, but <laughs> behind the scenes, but like the, but then, yeah, then you realize they're, fucking being sucked up a digestive tract and you, and they're screaming from the presumably the stomach acid or whatever you know is in there to fucking like you know help to help uh jean jack to digest them and you're like jesus fucking well, christ and you realize like the way those people were screaming and it was definitely more visceral to watch this in the theater than it was to watch it on my laptop um, right i'm sure the, the way these sounds. actors are screaming makes you realize how much actors are holding back when they scream in terror or fear in other films or TV shows where, where yeah. they're like, no, 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 you can't don't don't go that 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 extra with your screaming. That's going to like disturb people. <laughs> Whereas in this, it's just like, no, this is the only thing It's not going to be gross and graphic, except your screaming will be. And that's what's going to disturb people and make people remember this moment. Um, but it also makes you realize like how much fucking crazier the Sarlacc pit and Boba Fett could have been. Oh, you know, yeah, like it been this. <laughs> this is, they just glossed it, you know, for 30 years. We're like, oh, we'll get to see that someday. It'll be awesome. And it was fucking boring when they and none finally of this did was it. CG- <laughs> they could have done this in 1977 because none of that was CGI. Like you you can actually see the behind the scenes of the, the digestive tract shots. And it's just fucking like yeah. it's just like cheats and fucking lighting and, you know, d- like gloop and fucking i think ky jelly they line the sheets with you know just <laughs> yeah. nasty disgusting fucking probably horrible for the actors but um but yeah i mean it's just you know just great and that's what i loved about this movie i mean obviously jean jacket is cgi but jordan peele does a lot uh of interesting camera work to make this movie just feel very real and very lived in to the point where it's not jarring when there is some CGI involved, because there's just it's gotta so be much. so much harder to shoot something like this when you don't have an actual subject to film, and oh, you just yeah. have to like do all the camera movement, uh, you know, pre-plan all of it where where you think the thing's going to be. You know, it, there's got to be especially the pursuit scene. I mean, uh, just one of the most exhilarating pieces of filmmaking I've seen in, in years is that the scene at you know towards the end of the film where where OJ is on the white Bronco, <laughs> LOL, uh, running, <laughs> running away, which I'm sure is intentional. And I'll, I'll talk about, I, I think I know why later. Um, but, uh, 
like just just fleeing at top speed from jean jacket like who just comes down and fucking swoops him behind it was just incredible fucking shot uh and it's just like to do that and to do it without having anything to really work against except maybe a drone like maybe they were using a drone as a stand-in like it, that's fucking incredible to be able to get <laughs> a drone carrying a tennis ball <laughs> <laughs> right, right right a couple ping pong balls on a drone like that's all it was um but well, Jesus and you notice too. I didn't. I didn't catch this the first time, but the, the, I caught it the second time I watched that. that you know, after after the um, you know VFX or makeup guy or whatever puts that fucking mirror right in front of the horse's face when he tells him not to, and the horse fucking freaks out and kicks right, right, and he and he gets fired in the background. You can see them wheeling in like a, a fucking green screen prop horse. Yo, yeah, no, I saw, I saw that. It's funny. Yeah, so it's like you're already um, being replaced by a fucking CGI thing. Anyway, we tried the yeah. real animal. Not we're not going to do it anymore. So we tried. I, the, we tried the chimpanzee. We don't do chimps anymore. That's that's all going to be CGI now too. Well, and and honestly, they they understood that too because they didn't have a real chimp in the movie. You know, that, which is another real creepy thing. I I'm, I, th- I think I sent you when I found the uh, screenshot, but they had an actor sort of like mocap the chimp scene. Um, and it looks way yeah. even scarier than the fucking chimp when you see the image of this guy with like super fucking like primate like facial like you know whatever movements and shit like yeah. lumbering around as creep Andy Circus type shit. Um, but yeah, so I I just want to go through some of my notes kind of that I was taking contemporaneously. Um, sure, interesting little observations I made. So you know the first scene where he's um uh where where oj is and and m are talking with jupe uh in his office uh he's he <laughs> jupe says to m like oh hey take a look around sukasa es mikasa which you know it is obviously the inverse of the actual phrase mikasa sukasa which means your house is my house the way he said it um just right. another just another little you know sort of hint at his somewhat predatory capitalist nature um you know just 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 very very subtle but i I thought that was a little funny you know well credit to steven ewan's acting that you always feel like whatever he's saying whatever his line delivery is that there's something sinister just beneath that right at all times we talked about that with uh with uh sorry to bother you too it's like i always was like ah this guy's a fucking weasel and he kind of turned out not to be but i don't know it's just the way he played it it was real i really appreciate that he's sort of you know not you know, just a weasel in terms of like stealing. Um, what's I can't remember his name, but the main character from that movie's uh, girlfriend, Tess Thompson. In that movie, that was kind of like the vibe you always got. Cassius. That, yeah, Cassius. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I, he's just he's just very good at playing very. He like, puts a lot of layers into something and makes it look very simple. Guarded, but there's always like a little bit of menace to him. Right? Guarded characters, and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it plays really good in that scene too, because when they ask him about the attack, um, you know, oh, he yeah. he doesn't talk about the actual attack. He immediately shifts to talking about the SNL sketch. About oh, he the disassociates attack. completely, and he's exactly. like, "Oh yeah," oh, and he just goes on this long rant about. But you see in his acting it, performance, the, it's so subtle, but like there's the, the fucking heart, like the dead horror behind his eyes. Right. And this is this is his mechanism to not think about how traumatized it actually was. So good. And it's also, you know, I think a part of why he you know, he's afraid uh, of of this monster, but he still thinks like I'm I'm still can control it. And that's that's uh, like an offshoot of that trauma of never having dealt with it and really accepting what happened. Um, And he but I love. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So but but he totally gives it away. 
uh, I mean, not, not just the fact he's talking about an SNL sketch and like, haha, it was so funny, but we know it was traumatic. But when he's describing Chris Kattan's performance of the chimpanzee on the SNL sketch, he he like really overemphasizes his performance when he says, oh, Chris Kattan was just crushing it. He was just killing it on that stage. Oh, so I, it, I, I didn't even pick up. That's great. That's, yeah. I didn't even pick up. So that. he's like totally Freudian <laughs> slipping what really actually happened but in a metaphorical way right? But of, of what literally happened was the chimp actually killed people and chewed their faces off and, uh, and in he, front of him. And he goes, Oh, you know, and the network tried to bury it, but it was just such a spect and like really just tries to, you know, again, like in, in the way where he's like talking about it without talking about it. And that's actually, a, a, you know, the other mentioned like spectacles, a big theme of this film as well. And that's even that opening little, um, uh, you know, qu- uh, quote, uh, Chiron at the beginning of the movie, which was, uh, a quote from, I guess, the Hebrew Bible, which I didn't know was a thing. I, I, I mean, I guess I'm not like a religious scholar, but I always thought they were just. Wouldn't that just they, be the Old Testament? Apparently, it's, it's this is a different. I think this is a different book because I've never heard of this fucking guy. Uh, N a h u m. I don't even know how you pronounce that. Nahum, Nahum, the prophet, uh, minor prophet. Uh, but it, his the quote from the that the Hebrew Bible is, uh, "I will cast abominable abominable filth at you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle." Yeah. Um, and obviously that was kind of, you know, the other sort of theme of the movie, um, uh, which, you know, it, it gets get the line that gets repeated over and over again about spectacle. But I think, you know, it's not an accident that OJ's name is OJ, because if you think about the most significant spectacle, disgusting spectacle, probably of modern times, you could probably point to the OJ trial. So I thought that was just a very interesting, you know, hmm sort of Easter egg that Jordan Peele put in there. Um, you know, and, uh, and another uh, something I, I didn't even think of, but somebody pointed out there's a, that shot in the opening scene where you see the white Bronco, the white horse. Uh, and after all the stuff rains down and the thing that kills Otis jr, there's a key sticking out the back of the white Bronco. So yeah. it's just another little Easter egg to the, like, I just think that that was very intentional yeah. on Jordan Peele's part, but I, I interesting. Well, in, little, when they're on that green screen stage, you know, they bring in the this older woman who's like the star talent or whatever commercial right. they're shooting. And she goes, your name's OJ. <laughs> right. like she's just like, can't, can't hide her little bit of racism right there. Like, <laughs> right. right. Like, right. Oh still, God. Like, right. Like pres- presumably, you know, he's old enough that he was, you know, <laughs> called OJ before <laughs> the double homicide. Yeah, um, no, for sure. And, and it probably and feels like, why should I have to change my name? Cause of what that guy did, you know? <laughs> right. Right. What's that? That office space line. Why should I change my name? He's the one who sucks. Like basically, it's just that. Right. <laughs> um, but no. So I, and just to talk about that opening scene too. I you know, it, uh, a lot of people have sort of speculate speculated, and I think Daniel Kaluuya sort of admitted as much that he played uh, OJ as like you know as somebody who's on the spectrum. Like you could tell, there's definitely some sort of social you know uh ish, you know th- there's something going on with him where he's definitely exhibiting spectrum behavior um which i think is actually really interesting because of the fact that he has trouble making eye contact which is the reason that he's probably the b- best suited person to deal with jean jacket because he's just very bad well, and, making- and to be a horse trainer because clearly the horses do not be like exact look directly right. in the eye either right the that, and this is this is what what you know comes back to is the whole the whole idea that you know um oh animals are so unpredictable it's like they react to everything around them exactly the same way we do it, right, we perceive you- direct eye contact from a stranger as a threat too 
right? Um, you know, the predators, uh, unpredictable. No, I don't think so. We, we call them predators for a reason because they kill for food. <laughs> right. It's very, <laughs> very people, predictable if you, respect you know, them, but th- there's a Siegfried and Roy joke in this, uh, in the film too. Um, who of course famously Roy got attacked on his birthday and the fucking tiger that he, you know, thought he had tamed, uh, severed his spine. Yep. Right. And, and, and the notion that they, they did this unpredictably just because it had never done that to you before is ludicrous because the, I mean, these animals, they have adaptations to deal out horrible violence, you know, the way that we do too. Um, I want to, I just wanted to read this, this one little paragraph here from an article I was reading today in which the person, this, this author directly contradicts themselves at least two different times here. So this, this, I, I get what they're saying, but like they're, they're again, this person's learning the wrong lesson from, from right. what the film is trying to show. Um, this was from, let's see, this was on Collider uh, headline. Nope explores the horrors of exploiting animals for spectacle. Now their, their conclusion here makes sense, but like the way they get to it doesn't quite. So right, right, right. Uh, when the film flashes back to the Gordy's home attack for the final time, we see what spurs the attack and more of the horror that follows. They were filming a birthday party scene when Gordy was set off. <laughs> Again, birthday <laughs> birthday party, animal attack. Love it. Uh, <laughs> they were filming a birthday party scene when Gordy was set off by the sound of balloons popping. Again, balloons popping. <laughs> right. Animals don't like that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, especially if, when it's inside their digestive system. Uh, he attacks Ricky's co-star, a lit up applause sign hanging in the background and balloons scattered across the floor. Ricky shakes with fear from his hiding place under a table and Gordy walks towards him, extending his hand for a fist bump. The close-up of Gordy's primal, bloody fist in Ricky's small hand is a stark visual reminder of the contrast between humans and wild animals. Okay, so if if, if so, this person clearly thinks that like animals are violent and brutal, and people right. aren't. Right. That's which the contrast. The total wrong fucking takeaway. From which that. is right. Okay, so then they continue. Um. The, uh, so let me just read the last part again. The close-up of Gordy's primal bloody fist and Ricky's small hand is a stark visual reminder of the contrast between humans and wild animals. Despite our efforts to tame, domesticate, and exploit them to entertain us, they are unpredictable creatures who belong in the wild. Okay, so yes, they do belong in the wild, but not because they are untamable and unpredictable. As they're about to fist bump, a police officer suddenly arrives and shoots Gordy in the head, blood splattering and a startling display of violence. So again, like you just said, you just set up this contrast where humans are not violent, but animals right. are, and then contradict yourself by saying that the humans committed violence suddenly out of nowhere. Right. Like, we're, we're, we're the, <laughs> the most violent species, arguably, like every other species on Earth uh, uses violence to um, eat, you know, to sustain themselves and to protect themselves when they feel like they're threatened. We just do well, it. You chimps know. certainly do, but our other closest, you know, a primate relative, bonobos, do not. They no, do not true. kill and maim each other. I'm saying the even like the do. most predatory, quote unquote, animals that we would be terrified of if we were trapped in a room with, right? Only do right. it, you know, if they feel threatened and/or you know, if they need sustenance. We just do it for the fuck of it. Like we're we're maybe one of the only species that just does it for. You know, well, for the, a variety I mean, of other reasons. This this animal, I mean, this is a fictional movie, but we know that animal, you know, chimpanzees have been used in entertainment and have snapped and attacked people brutally. Right. Um, this but is based on a real thing. They were put in stressful situations that they normally would not have been in in the wild. Right. Right. So to say that it was unpredictable, it's like, no, this animal was 
being put under stress for a long period of time. And just because you had a bunch of people standing around laughing, you know, doesn't mean that the animal wasn't stressed out the whole time. And this one thing was the straw that broke the camel's back and the animal flips out. Right. Right. That's almost exactly how animals, when they, when they do attack, if it's not for food, it's because they feel threatened. They feel stressed. Right. Right. They feel that you're, you are a threat to them in some way, even if you don't think you are. Right. Right. And, and, and anyone who has compassion for animals too, you kind of, you, 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 you see it coming in, in like that opening scene where like, you know, the, the, you can tell the horse is starting to get restless and he's like, Hey, I think the horse needs a break. And it's just a bunch of, you know, the Hollywood dickhead producers like, ah, no, that's fine. Just after the shot and everyone's like puttering around he's like, Oh, don't stand behind him. And people are, if you know, it's just the idea of like, if you don't respect these animals, you are, you're bound to, to upset them and and stress them out and trigger, trigger a fear response. And they clearly don't respect OJ either because, you know, they, they just made the safety announcement of if you, if you see anything, you know, say something, right. to, you know, because we don't want to have any accidents on set. And then as soon as he starts saying, hey, I think the horse needs a break, it's getting stressed out, he's immediately ignored. Right? right. So it's like nobody, nobody there except for him. I mean, you would argue his sister has been around horses, too. But she's, you know, clearly invested. Focused in elsewhere. To, right. Focused elsewhere. And he's trying to get her attention and she's off on the other side of the room ignoring him. So he's the only person who's taken, you know, who, who really takes animals seriously in the sense of knowing what their needs are, predicting their behavior, which is, you know, any intelligent person would understand that, you know, like the common things that set people off are the same things that set off animals are no different. Uh, we can be violent you know, out of nowhere, seemingly, right? People are like, oh, how did somebody go shoot up a a, a a nightclub in Colorado? It's like, because that guy was taught to hate people his whole life. Yeah, you see, by, you by see his, his father for five father. fucking seconds, and yeah, you're like, oh, okay. His meth-head fucking shithead father. You're like, oh, okay, that's why. Um, yeah. but, but who this this is, you know, we'll probably talk about this on our, our uh, main political right. show next week, but yeah, this, this shooting, they uh, found... They went and found the father of this guy who murdered, um, you know, half a dozen people in a gay nightclub um, because it was an all ages lunch event drag show. Right. Which, according to Tim Pool, means they're grooming minors. Right. Like, really? They're grooming minors. Aren't you the same people that want to lower the age of consent to 13 years old? You fucking it's, weirdos. It's, it's, it's always fucking projection. But the, these fucking people don't realize that they're or they do realize they do it on purpose. They know they're stochastic terrorists and they don't give a fuck. They they right. they, they radicalize and, and, you know, fucking whip their audience up into the frenzy about shit that they don't even really believe. Like half of these no, fucking monetization. Even, right. They don't believe that these people are grooming people to be, you know, fucking like you know put into child sex rings or things like that they just say that because they know their fucking mentally unstable uh viewership base loves that shit and eats it up and gets so upset by it and then they go and fucking shoot up a a, you know a gay club or whatever and then it's like oh well i didn't i certainly don't condone by fuck you you fucking motherfuckers those yeah. people deserve anything that fucking happens to them is all I'll say. And then, yeah, we'll talk about that on the main show. This is, this is a <clears throat> <laughs> much different, um, but no. So uh, yeah, you know, and I, and I just love that the whole, and I, I you know, again, like the, the, the whole character of OJ is such a great uh, well-written character. You know, he's the first one to really early on, way before we know about Jean Jacket's origins, he says like, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, a spaceship. It doesn't move like a spaceship. Like just from the few little, you know, observations he had of it sort of moving mm-hmm. in and out of the clouds. Um, I love that. And, and, uh, you know, 
Oh, and that was another thing I meant to mention earlier. And, you know, another thing that's interesting that's unexplained, but also makes me think, you know, potential terrestrial origin is the fact that it does have this sort of ability to generate the, 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 the sort of nimbus cloud around itself as a, as a natural camouflage the same way, you know, a certain I don't know. It isn't, reptiles. I think if it was, if it could do that, it would like, you know, make a cloud that's not static and not moving. <laughs> like it would make a, well, but, a different but it cloud. Surra- it just day. surrounds itself. I think that's, I, I, I think. Oh, I know, but it's, it it's generates like, it through whatever kind of fucking wind panels or whatever it's got. And it's, you know, who knows how the fuck the physiology works. Although that green thing does look like it's eye. And, and that's like another, another very intentional piece of its design is that the, the the thing that appears to be sort of its face and or its eye uh looks like a like a like the the you know you're looking down the barrel of a fucking big fucking film camera and that's you right. know another very intentional shot uh and a, another you know thing about the whole idea of spectacle and surveillance all these themes that he's playing with in this movie um and uh, another thing i and noticed the, oh, yeah, the director good. you know he, when the first time we see him at home he's got the old uh reel-to-reel editing deck Right. And he's watching old footage from his nature documentaries. And you notice that like most of his footage, he's like right up close, looking directly into the eye of multiple different animals. Right. So this is this is like his 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 fucking white whale. Right. Where like he's he and you could tell because he's immediately hooked when she calls him. You know, right, she's right. like, well, we don't really, we don't really have any money to give you. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. You know, you know what they say. I do one for them. And I do one for me. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. He's a great character, too. I love I love just really fucking off the wall, like Hollywood kooks like that when they when they cast somebody like that in a movie. Um, oh, yeah. No, he's great. But but yeah. And, and you know, that 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 sort of eye, we actually see it in the opening seconds of the movie, which I didn't obviously realize upon first watch. But when you know what it looks like upon second watch, the opening credits are flashing up on a screen but the screen backdrop is actually the center of the eye of jean jacket it, you, you can see it in that opening uh credit yeah crawl. it'd be weird if your eye was also your mouth you know it'd be kind of like yeah oh, i got i got food in my eye <laughs> oh wait some, i always some crazy have redditors did like diagrams of like the biology of jean jacket where it's like well it kind of goes in like you know just just from shots from the movie and i'm like Man, uh, you know, it's probably accurate, but you guys have way too much fucking time on your hands because Seriously. holy shit. Um, but it's just no. a certain kind of nerd that needs like a fucking cutaway schematic of everything. You know, like they've <laughs> right. got a, you know, the fucking the like fucking... the cutaway of the Millennium Falcon framed on their wall kind of thing. It's, it's the fucking Justin Long character in Galaxy Quest. It's like, oh, I'll bring up the schematics of the, of the fucking the oh protector, I'll, you know, like a level 37, <laughs> you know, that fucking <laughs> Oh, I'm never getting laid. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great movie, by the way. Fucking mm, Galaxy yeah. Quest, so such a good movie. Tim Allen sucks, though, but yeah, good he movie. does. He's a fucking shitbag, but you know, he could he could occasionally be be, be led to a good uh, a it's, good it's, movie and a good. Performance. Yeah, it's a weird thing how there are right wing uh, Star Trek fans because the show is basically space communism, but it's like <laughs> right, you know, it, it was done so subtly in certain ways that other people were like, no, it's about individual liberty in space. It's like uh, right. Okay. Right. Right wingers sure. have to have to almost disassociate from the actual because they don't engage with 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 culture and, and art on a deeper level like that. So they can disassociate with it and just right. appreciate the pop at like why, why do fucking why did Ronald Reagan use Born in the USA as a fucking campaign theme song? It's like because you could disassociate with the actual meaning behind the art you just hear something that sounds catchy and you know oh he right. said usa he said the thing like let's you know hit, well hit the, the only lyrics in that song are born in the usa i was <laughs> right. born in the usa and it's right. repeated you know 40 50 times in a row there's no other lyrics that i recall right 
Absolutely. Um, um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm just looking at my notes. <laughs> just a fun, I, you know, I, I, I love stupid things like the fact that uh, OJ uh, is wearing a Scorpion King sweater because, like, that's one of the first movies he worked on with his dad, with where they were like, you know, using the horses to film the Scorpion King. Just right, you know, just a funny little bit of Hollywood sort of meta. Isn't that shit? Um... That was like that was a movie with the rock that came out after it the was, mummy movies. It, was that it, right? Like it's like a it? it's like a sort of spinoff of the mummy movies that was like awful. It was basically the yeah. scorp yeah, Scorpion King in, in in was like a in the fucking second mummy movie for like ten seconds at the beginning of the movie. It was just like, oh, this is the origin of this character, and then at the end he's like a CGI monstrosity or whatever. But um well, but yeah, the, I remember I've, I've seen clips of it on like some of the worst CGI. Examples oh, it's, it's the ever. worst CGI. I don't know what the fuck, man. Like, just 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 let the rock be fucking like a reanimated corpse at that point. But <laughs> um, but 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 that aside, I actually really enjoy those. The, the first two mummy movies are, are you know, dumb fun. Surprisingly sort of good. Yeah. Swashbuckling, I, you know, I, I've only seen the first one and I only saw it pretty recently to play a drinking game for it. But I remember really liking it. And I was pretty inebriated but i was just like hey this kind of this kind of kind of slaps actually you know it's it was was one of the last movies that they were weren't making with an eye towards like we need to make 500 bajillion dollars in this movie was like hey you know let's throw like a hundred million dollars at a movie that like is basically just a remake of like a 30s you know action adventure fucking you know uh swashbuckling movie but like let's include the like some movie monsters like it's just it was a fun movie that they're trying to like goofball indiana jones with the fucking guy from fucking encino man you know? right right <laughs> whatever right who's who's great he's just incredibly charming you know presence on screen um when, you know, when he gets a good role so yeah. yeah good stuff uh but yeah so <laughs> i just love that that was a funny little detail um uh the fact that uh the all the names in this movie are pretty funny and interesting you know because they're obviously just movie references and or uh, cryptozoological references the uh guy from fry's electronic store uh who helps him set up the cameras name is angel and you know a big thing that a lot of people talk about is that when we see gene jacket's final form at the end it's very much a a, a dead ringer for like the the sort of biblical description of the way angels look looks like, very angelic yeah looks like and, an angel fish yeah <laughs> right and that's you know people are always like oh biblical angels are all fucked up looking and that's it's true they don't look like you know fucking like shiny white people with wings like the way you see them depicted you know everywhere in pop culture but they like the way they're described in the bible is very similar uh to the way jean jacket appears in its final form so people thought that that may have been a reference to that his uh co-worker at fry's name is nessie like just you know stupid shit like that fucking like antlers Loch like yeah like lock that yeah that's a nickname for uh emerald you know fucking wizard of oz like oj like it just everyone has a a, a, a complete fake name that no but no real person would would go by so it's just a very fun funny little uh jordan peele thing well in in the casting too uh, you know i mean not the casting necessarily but the characters themselves like the the number of parallels to jaws in this movie are right limitless right right and we talked about like what 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 the movie is really ripping off of from the spielberg catalog is really isn't close encounters it really is jaws no it's jaws (laughs) and you don't know that at until like halfway through the movie the first time you see it because you don't understand the true nature of Jean Jacket, but once you do, you're like, oh yeah, this is just 
trying to outsmart, you know, an apex predator basically and survive. That's, that's all they're trying to do. Right. Right. But it's, it, it gets, it, I went down some rabbit holes in this, but I, I just want to real quickly cut touch on some of the main cast here. Um, um, one, one of the, one of the things that was great to see, uh, Keith David cast in this film as the father, oh, David, uh, you yeah. know, I'll, I'll be it briefly. Uh, Keith David, who starred in uh, the two most beloved John Carpenter films, uh, The Thing and They Live. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to, you know, monster movies, he's been he's been doing this a long time. But um, so the character of OJ and Emerald, you know, brother and sister, like they're, you know, they really kind of are like a real brother and sister dynamic. But they kind of really are. They, they represent kind of just one character amongst the two of them. Right. And, you know, towards the end, especially kind of like it's like, wait, who is the hero now? Like, are we is, is OJ even in this movie still? Because I feel like we've just been <laughs> doing right. the, you know, like his sister kind of took over as the as the character here. But they but if you really want to like parallel with Jaws, the two of them together are Chief Brody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, Brandon Perea, who played Angel Taurus, he's Hooper from Jaws. He's like the tech guy that comes in to like help them out. Right. He's, he knows the technical right. stuff. Right. Um, Anders Holst, played by Mike Wilcott. Quint. He, he's Quint from Jaws. Right, of yes. Course, yes. <laughs> Grizzle, grizzled old screaming. guy who, you know, he's like, you know that he's going to go down with the ship. Right. Right. Um, and Stephen Yuen, uh, Ricky Jute Park, uh, owner of Jupiter's mayor. Claim. Exactly. Is, is the, is the, <laughs> is like the naive public servant, the mayor, Larry Vaughn, <laughs> with his, with his fucking, his fucking jacket with all the little anchors on it. <laughs> right, his, Fourth his bedazzled, <laughs> fucking tasseled, yeah, ridiculous cowboy. So jacket. looks like yeah, Marty's I mean, fucking, you know, cowboy outfit in Back to the Future Three. But but even in Jaws, those characters were already you know sort of archetype slash tropes, sure. right? That, that that Spielberg was you know like, hey, what if we had the grizzled old sea captain and the you know the sort of the you know, the college guy who knows the marine biology shit, who's, you know, kind of counterculture and is going to not get along with the old guy. They're going to clash and right. And, then and the one, you know, the and in the middle is the leader who's the chief, who's pragmatic, but, you know, uh, somewhat alarmist, you know, and but he's he's the protector. And it's just like those are such easy characters to throw together, but they did such a great job with it that like nobody really minds, I think, with that movie. But they really are just like, OK, <laughs> this is these, these are definitely archetype characters. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and actually that just, you know, I wanted to circle back to it and I forgot to mention it earlier, the, the thing we were talking about with with Steven Yeun um, misunderstanding his his relationship with animals um, and thinking that he could tame them um, is is just, you know, that in that scene, it's very obvious to the audience, um, but maybe not to him because he was just so paralyzed by fear that the reason he survives is because uh, Gordy can't see his eyes because he's got this little bit of sort of translucent, you know, tablecloth coming down in front of his face and it's sort of breaking up his his oh you know direct. I eye think it is say because he's Asian. <laughs> oh no, Jesus Christ. Come on. Oh, Come on. I'm man. the, the oh, man. 15% no. uh Filipino or something. Stephen no. Ewan is from Michigan, by the way. So if anyone's confused, <laughs> um <I> brother, <laughs> brother 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 uh brother Michigangsta, Stephen Ewan. Right, not Eskimo brother, just regular brother. Oh God! <laughs> oh man, um, this is also no. this is also the second animal rights film that Stephen Ewan's been in. And have you seen uh, Okja? 
No, no, that was that. Yeah, no. I, oh, I really, that, really but. good, really good. And it's the comedy too, so it's not like a big heavy-handed thing. Mm-hmm. The way that this isn't like a heavy-handed animal rights film, but it's you know, it's the it's the subtext there. That that film's a little bit more. It's like you know, little kid has this pet, you know, hippopotamus slash pig thing that this evil corporation has been like genetically creating just to slaughter. Um, right. And there's like there's even like an animal rights like uh, animal liberation front type group led by Paul Dano <laughs> and Stephen Ewan. And it's, you know, it's, it's like usually if you have like an animal liberation type group in a movie, they're going to make fun of it. And this film really didn't. Um, but it definitely got some of the things right about like any kind of radical left wing collective trope, you know, kind of a thing. Right. Um, Tilda Swinton's in it too. But yeah, so this is, this is, I don't even know if Stephen Ewan's vegan or what, but he's, he's definitely has done some, some roles like this where the, uh, the rights of animals and the exploitation of animals are definitely the the key. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember him having good politics during like the primary cycle, but I, I can't remember exactly. I'm sure he's you know he seems like a smart guy. Daddy's a shit lib, but you never know. Um, yeah, but no, yeah, I I just I just love that. Um, yeah, I, I you know I just just really incredible. Uh, I think this is. And we both talk, sort of talked about this offline, but I think easily Jordan's Peele, Jordan Peele's best film. Um, it shows his incredible progression as a filmmaker. And I say that as somebody who loved Get Out when I saw it and loved Us, I think, even more than Get I, I enjoyed Us more than Get Out um, because I thought it, it played with a lot of other interesting sort of, you know, tr- ideas and tropes and sort like I just really like the the sort of. Uh, the, 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 I, I appreciated the filmmaking, the horror filmmaking of us a lot. Uh, and I think this is him taking that to the, to the complete next level. Um, just some of the shit he does in this movie that, you know, it, it just comes across, you know, perfectly. Um, I, 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 he's one of my like favorite filmmakers and I'm just anything he's going to, he does, I'm seeing, you know, that's, that's like a day one or whenever, you know, whenever I can, uh, watch for me guaranteed watch the same way like Tarant- anything tarantino puts out is you know <laughs> getting a watch for me the first you know opportunity i have tarantino cultural gatekeeper <laughs> <laughs> right fucking, fuck off this fucking God, you oh, know I like know. it's it's, it's so not funny. enough that you dominate the entire fucking industry and that 47 fucking out of 50 screens played the fucking marvel movie of the month like you have to demand fucking cultural and critical respect and admiration for these fucking movies too. Like I, you know, look, I fucking enjoyed superhero movies as much as the next guy when they first came out. I've been so like, I, which is not to say there there are none that I enjoy that come out you know now, but I'm so fatigued in general. Like a movie really has to be interesting and like you know formula breaking for me to enjoy it at this point. Like I'm just so over the fucking obvious like recycled, you know, let's do the exact same superhero plot with. You well, know. and they're getting really shitty too now. Like right, that's, I, I, that's I talked a little bit about. Um, I watched. Uh, God, what was it? She Hulk. Oh, oh man. God, yeah. Just I, I've, I've watched all the Marvel shows, and I've watched them. You know, they started with WandaVision. I was like, this is pretty cool. They're doing some different things here that I didn't expect, and they're you know doing stuff that you couldn't do in a superhero <laughs> Marvel right. movie. Uh, and then they did you know Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I'm like, okay, that's good. You know, so whatever. You know, and then. Towards the end, it got kind of kind of dull, predictable. Uh, Loki was like, "Okay, here's Tom Hiddleston doing his thing again. All right, whatever, taking a villain and turning him into the good guy, like they always do with everything." 
<sighs> Hawkeye was okay, but mostly because the actors in it were fucking great. Um, right. You know, it is a very like G-rated Disney Christmas that time story that's, thing, which is right. Uh, but still executed well. Hated scene. Um, uh, what's the, the fucking D'Onofrio? What's the uh, Kingpin? Oh, yeah. He was Kingpin. apparently very neutered in that show. Yeah, it was just like, hey, I went from smashing a guy's head into a fucking car door till it turned into, uh, you know, <laughs> cranberry sauce. Uh, right. now, now he's just like, hey, I shoved a teenage girl a couple times and she's fine, you know. <laughs> um, but man, She-Hulk was so just objectively terrible terrible um so yeah i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of done with that although i did finish uh the finale of uh andor last night hands down the best thing they've ever done with star wars um maybe ever (laughs) right which again Uh, is just a formula breaking you know it's it's the idea of like let's work within this universe and we'll get a bunch of suckers to give us 200 million dollars and let's make this fucking incredible you know uh movie about fascism or show about fascism that we always want you know yeah or whatever yeah. however you want to well in, in in there is no real hero of the story here which is i think a burden <laughs> to the to entire franchises franchise franchises um and that it's it's really more about like hey what if society punched if, what if we all agreed that like we should all punch nazis in the face you know <laughs> right. instead of talking about their fucking rights um right. yeah so really, yeah. really great finale. Uh, the way that they've used music in the show is is pretty amazing. Um, the, the, basically, like the the theme of the show is like it works itself into being music played on instruments huh. in the, in the show. Yeah, um, brilliant, brilliant. Which is and then like the, always... the music being played. Well, so it starts off. It's basically like a funeral dirge, right? And gradually, like the funeral dirge, like the tempo change, and it becomes like a battle song. And then, like, once that happens, then all the fucking, uh, you know, all, all the Empire people realize that, like, oh, shit, we shouldn't have let them get this far because now they've been they've been plotting a rebellion all along. And music was the was the way that they were fucking going to basically get the crowd all. Right, so it's, it's, it's basically just close encounters is what you're saying. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they just play the little do 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 at the end. They all fucking. Uh, no. So yeah, I, I definitely got to watch that. Um, and that's something I always w- was always kind of missing with star Wars is like the sort of like, what is, you know, th- and that's the sort of shit I love in that, you know, colors in like the, the details, but really gives life to, to universes you create is like, what is the culture of people in star Wars? What's the music that they listen to? What's the sort of, and it was always well, and, just so like this... non-existent in, in star yeah. Wars, you know? Like you'd have a little alien playing a flute and it was goofy, but it like didn't, right, didn't right, tell you right. right. It didn't tell you anything about the culture of, well, uh, of which, different cultures. You know? Which, by the way, do you know the genre of that music that they that they play in the cantina in Star Wars? I shit you not, is actually called jizz. J I C C. Well, they yeah, they made up the word for that apparently before that was slang for cum. <laughs> right, right, which uh, is just fucking hilarious yeah. the, the way things work out. Yeah, well, they don't um, they don't talk about that anymore because you know why would you? But if you find old <laughs> interviews, if you find old interview footage from when they were making it back in seventy seven or seventy six, whenever they they mentioned that, and I was like. Pfft. You fucking nerds don't know what that. Which is also Jesus super Christ. fucking lazy because it's like, what is it? It's the George R. R. Martin thing. Oh, it's jazz. What are we? I don't know. Fucking change the letter. Just call it jizz. Like it's fine. Nobody will care. Like you know, it's just. 
Uh, what am I going to name this character? Not like I don't it's know. It's mentioned in the show anyway, so why would you? Yeah, right. Anyhow. Like, what are we going to name this guy? I'm running out of names for well, Lannisters. I don't know. Call him Kevin, but like change the I to an A, and then it'll be a fucking weird exotic name. Like, fuck, I don't it's, care. It's Kirsten, not Kristen. <laughs> um, so the other thing that this, this Star Wars show did uh, really great was finally having mass media. Like, you, oh, we've never it, seen like, mass media within the world of Star Wars, but that's always a thing that makes me feel like sci fi isn't real in a way when like take blade runner right here's this future dystopia there's this very complex society you know like basically have um you know slaves that are just test born in test tubes or whatever but there's no there's no mass media there's no music you know there's no tvs like you've got you know hollow pads everywhere holograms everywhere but like, how does there? How do people get informed about anything? Well, Whether you the, watch the news or not, the news would always exist in the future, right? Right. And, even even in a fascist kind of sort of you know dystopia, which is I think the idea of like, oh well, there's no culture because it's a fascist dystopia, and they understand the culture. Yeah, they would still the, use mass media sure. to retain their control. That's a big part of um of the theme of of this show is uh you know to, looking at how brittle and precarious fascism is because the people that are fascist that are oppressing people know it's not a natural order and anything that's not a natural order has to have tremendous amounts of energy to be sustained right? right because people once they start fighting back you're fucked right people don't put up with it for very long right although in this in this show apparently you can just go on and on and like oh oh this show takes place in the month between these two other movies you know it's like okay it's why, it's why we go to war with <laughs> entrenched guerrilla warfare with countries just because you know communism as an ideology is spreading to parts of place in places that we don't want uh to see that capitalism is not the best you know most sustainable right sort of fucking system to live on so there would always be mass media no matter what and this show finally kind of shows that and right. it's not like hitting you over the head with like oh here's what the news said about this thing but it always fox any, news like it's not one of those stupid fucking like right any, anytime you don't have you know you, you don't show any kind of media um in a movie it makes it feel very isolated and that's one of the things that i like about nope in this yeah. movie is like you're, you're aware that Hollywood exists. Like we see a soundstage and then we never really see it again. Right. You know, they, they go to the fries and Burbank or whatever, but like you don't see them driving to it. They're, they're just there. All well, right. But almost the entire rest of the movie takes place out in the middle of nowhere, you know, where they're totally cut off. And the really, it's the only place you could really have this set would be out in the middle of nowhere. Cause otherwise everyone would know where this fucking thing is already. Um, and that's also why you know that like this is well, one of the clues that this is the first time, you know, that uh, that uh, Jupe is doing this because otherwise people would know about it already <laughs> and they'd be terrified. Right. Right. They wouldn't right. be sitting there about to become a fucking lunch. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. And then we don't see the the outcome of, you know, Emerald getting the photo of this thing. They don't show like what the huge media reaction would be to that. Right. We We completely have a story contained within you know the you know just like you don't see the fucking Brody and Hooper once they get back to the to back to the shore to see you know like where the whole town's like yeah you killed the shark like we don't ever see that it's just they lived end credits <laughs> that's it right which is great I love I love when filmmakers because that takes a bit of courage as a filmmaker because you know that the studio is gonna be like well so what happened we need to show a shot of them sitting with oprah and you know looking at the picture that she took on the on the fucking the crank you know photo thing 
Like, but it's like, no, no, you don't. That's that's that's. We got to show Maverick land on the aircraft carrier, and then all five thousand people come up onto the deck of the aircraft carrier to cheer him on that he landed the plane, and Iceman is there, and they fucking hug. Yeah, yeah, it's just such a like, like really, do you are you that much of a fucking boner for the military and being the hero that like you need to have that right kind of an ending? It's it just feels fake to me. So I like when when the film just ends when the story is really over you know right no i agree um a hundred percent and and you know that and that was another thing we we i briefly mentioned but the whole the whole like sort of last scene where it's in its final form um and you know it, it just really interesting the way it looks and you know it it pro- it's very much seems like in that the hypothesis is that that's more or less a threat response because the first time they were really able to actually intentionally wound it you know the the um scene where 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 jean jacket swallows up the the practice horse and it's lodged in its stomach it 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 knows instinctively that it would that was its own doing because it ate something that it shouldn't have when they when it's trying to eat uh 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 fucking angel and they wrap you know they 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 make it inhale the barbed wire and it rips up the insides it knows that it's actually under attack facing a real threat for the first time to its livelihood which is why it transforms into this. He was supposed to die in the original script. That guy, he changed a bunch of things, or he got Jordan Peele to change a bunch of things about not only his character, but what happens to his character. Huh. He was originally supposed to be just like a happy-go-lucky nerd. Right. And this was like one of the first film roles he's ever done, too. So to, to have the balls to you know tell Jordan Peele, I want, I want, I want you to change my character. Right. Uh, and he, so he's like, okay, this guy works at a... He's, he's like 30 years old and works you know, in a fucking department store, like a Best Buy or Fry's, uh, he would be disgruntled as hell. Right, right. <laughs> so Jordan Beals was like, Jordan Beals was like, uh, yeah, you're right. He, he would. He would be very jaded and would want to do anything Because that guy probably was working at a fucking Fry. You know, he was his first role in Hollywood. He probably was working at a fucking yeah. Fry's. Yeah, or and originally he was, supposed to, he was supposed to die at the end, too. And he's like, no, I want my character to live. And he has to, like, you know, figure out a way that to, to survive in the moment. So, you know, like he, he partially got tangled up in that tarp and the barbed wire on accident, but then realized, you know, he needed to get more tangled up if he was going to live, which I right. thought was, was kind of clever. And there was no reason. It's not like he couldn't have gotten killed. I think it was just like, you know, when you're an actor, you, you just don't want your character to die for some reason. It's just like, no, no want, I have to, to be I a want smart to character. <laughs> right. And that, and that's, yeah. And that was a great, and that's the, the great thing about this is this, again, why this is so much so draws like it was just like, let's find let's MacGyver this shit. Let's figure out like the crafty solution to stay alive with this, with this existential threat, you know, bearing down upon us. And it's just like, you know, they, they, I mean, they literally do fucking jaws. They, they throw a big thing of fucking air and then it explodes and explodes the thing from the inside. It's the same fucking thing as jaws biting the fucking, uh, the tank. And that, that horse statue with the, you know, used car dealership flags hanging off of it is Uh just like the, the fucking cables and the barrels that they stuck into Uh the shark and uh jaws where Uh you don't, you don't see the shark. You just see this thing that you know is attached to it. Right. So, you know, it's very, very close by so that, yeah, all very, deliberate intentional things but also it's just you know part of that came out of steven spielberg having a robot shark that didn't work right so it was it was like okay right. well the less we right. show this thing the better it's going to be and i think it was actually his wife who edited the film and kept saying like no no no, no. i the you know show the show the shark for like you know two seconds and then cut away from it and just show people's horrified faces right um 
Which is the same thing we get out of, out of a Jean Jack in almost the entire movie. It's you see very yeah. little of it. Like that's the great thing about it. You you know, not until the final scene do you have a prolonged shot of it. You know, in the daylight. Um, yeah, in the daylight. Yeah, you, you see it zipping out of between clouds. You see it swoop down. You see like little things here and there. But you don't. You know, the reason we don't see its true nature until like midway through the movie is because you really don't even get a good fucking look at it until. I said we'll minutes. tell you one thing that I. I um do find about Jordan Peele's movies is that they, I'm always want to watch him a second time. And I'm always disappointed on the second viewing because they, the first viewing, when you don't know what's going to happen, when it is truly scary. Yes. Yes. But as soon as you know where the things are going to be and what actually happens when like that, the element of horror goes away, unfortunately. Um, And I wouldn't say Jaws is a horror movie, but like, you know, the first time you see Jaws, you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, Oh, in 1975, (laughs) it was a horror movie. You know, like that's there's nothing like that at that point in in movies, you know, that for sure was a horror movie to to audiences who are more sense, not as desensitized as we are to. I mean, I I couldn't imagine seeing that in 1975. I would have been just like, okay, well, there goes swimming and I'm going to go swimming again. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone like from from, you know, our parents generation and older were like, yeah, we just didn't swim for like five years after Jaws. Like 1980, 1981, we got back in the water and like, you know, slowly. But it was was a long ass time before we got back in the fucking water. Lake Michigan? Nope. I don't know. I mean, fucking <laughs> shark could adapt to freshwater, come all the way up the St. Lawrence Seaway, go man. all the way through Lake Erie, Ontario, here on and get to Lake Michigan. I'm not chancing it. <laughs> you never know. Um, but no, but I love and, and honestly, for me, Jordan Peele's movies, the thing I appreciate about them is I agree. The first time through is always a fucking roller coaster um, when you don't know what's going to happen and you don't. And he does love uh, a twist, but not in a fucking cheap M. Night Shyamalan the, this entire movie is built around a twist type way. He just likes telling a really interesting story that you think is going one way and then fucking yeah, giving you I, a little. I heard somebody uh, refer to the twist in this movie and I was like, what, what twist, what twist was there? It's not really in, a twist. Just the, the whole idea of the true name. I mean, you are, the, the movie was marketed and you initially are thought to, led to believe that the, that we're dealing with uh, a spaceship. And then you eventually realize it is a, some sort of a, some sort of a organic, you know, creature, you know, whatever origin. So yeah, it's not it's really the people twist, would think that is the twist. It's not. I mean, it's a subversion of expectations. Maybe I should say. I, I think he's very good at subverting expectations. I mean, it's it's still a UFO, whether it's mechanical or organic. I don't know. Um, they named it. It's not. It's not identified anymore. They named it. It's uh, no. <laughs> um, but, but no, I, I, I just, you know, he, he likes doing, he likes subverting audience expectations is I think the thing. And he, and he understands that that's a very powerful tool when you don't use it as a crutch and you don't use it as a, a trick the way that like an M night Shyamalan builds every one yeah. of his movies, you know? Um, well, there wasn't, um, there was, there was one sort of trick or trope, uh, that he did that's very reminiscent of, of horror. Uh, and that was when, um, OJ's in the um, in the barn or in the, in the <laughs> yeah. indoor track area, and he turns the lights off, then the sprinklers off, and they come back on. Uh, and we get the moment where you think that there's little fucking aliens like walking straight toward him in the dark, and you're just like, "Oh my!" Like that moment scared the shit out. Oh, of Oh, that my was theater. so freaky the first time. Yeah, the first time you see, it, you're like, "Oh right. fuck!" Like, but then yeah, just, they're just right there. They're just right there in front of you. And you know, then when he gets his phone out and it racks focus from the thing 
to his phone where the thing's out of focus now and you see the face on the phone, but it's still so, you know, small. You can't tell what it is. That was absolutely terrifying. But the thing is like, once you know, that's just fucking three kids playing a prank, you know, just like the, the prank in Jaws. You're like, oh, well, that's never going to be scary again because I know what that is now. <laughs> right. And 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 uh, another just great little bit of, you know, Stephen, Stephen Yun characterization, the way the design of those alien creatures that he designs says like sort of the merch of his Star Lasso experience. He he obviously, I think, you know, gets get, has an idea that 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 Jean Jacket is a is a is a creature is not a spaceship i mean i think he's that that's my you know pretty educated guess from from everything they're telling you on screen is that he understands the sort of nature of what jean jacket is if not you know how he should treat it because he thinks like we said earlier he has this unnecessary or this unearned sense of like i understand animals i understand how to 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 work with animals you know safely i'm i'm not you know an idiot i can whatever um but the way he designed it is very like, you know, Freudian because the, it's got a very monkey like body. It's got a very hairy body. And the face, the face is like this, you know, sort of hairless sort of gray alien face. But if you watch the, the Gordy's home flashback scenes, the eyes, the, 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 the sort of reels, the, the, the um, film holder holsters on the ca- uh, cameras for the Gordy's home set look exactly like the faces of his like alien, you know, interesting you know, viewers things it's a very huh. you know it's a it, you go, oh yeah yeah I'll, I'll i'll definitely watch for that next time i i watch it i'll tell you the the one of the most disturbing shots for me um was the third time they go back to the gordy's home set so they you know they they open with it and you don't really know what the fuck's going on right and then you realize oh this is this chimp just you know uh tore up the tv set and it's covered in blood and there's a shoe sticking straight up and a pair of feet, you know, and then it cuts away. We don't really know what's going on. And they cut back to it when he's telling the story. And then they cut back to it later. I forget exactly at what point. Um, I think it's just before the um, the uh, the massacre scene. And it starts with this tracking shot and it's moving very slowly through the back of the stage. Right. And you you don't see anybody, but you hear like noises. Right. Right. So we know we're back on that film set and we're about to see, you know, more see like, you know, the, the finale of, of what happens. Um, but it's the cameras first moving through a bunch of like jungle plants that are on the set. Right. Like, right. Like apparently there because they, you know, filmed some scene where Gordy was, you know, in the jungle still before being captured and put in this, you know, suburban family's house for whatever reason. Right. So he's like, as as the camera's moving through these, um, these like tall, like tropical plants, you know, on this, on the set, you slowly start to see, you know, like a a window of, you know, like a, you know, set dressing window, part of the stage that they're moving towards. And it really kind of, you know, just as like a visual reminder that like this, this is what the animals native habitat should have been or would be or how would they designed it to look on the TV show. And they're moving from that further into like the more, you know, human realm there. Um, but I tell you, anytime there's a camera moving with nobody in the shot and you're just seeing, you know, the environment uh, in a horror movie, it's terrifying. It reminds me of the beginning of Halloween, you know, right. where you're not sure if you're, if you are seeing the view, you know, the POV shot of the killer or the villain or the, whatever it is, 
or if you're just moving, you know, you're just you are the camera moving closer to where that villain is. It's a really great anxiety inducing technique. And and that's the other thing is he's he's a he's a student of the game when it comes to horror movies. He's a horror movie aficionado and uh, understands all these techniques and and the way to sort of you know he's he talks about Carpenter constantly and and that's somebody who's always been a big influence on his career even if he's not making what would be considered a straight up horror movie. So I think he he understands the the language of of sort of horror cinema in a way that nobody else really practices now uh it's a very it's it's kind of a dead art like it, it's just a lot of you know samesy sort of horse shit in in horror you know these days so th- that's the whole idea of like you know elevated horror which is sort of the, the way they refer to like this movie and or you know J- most of jordan peele's catalog uh movies like the lighthouse you know things that that are somewhat horror like in nature but you know certainly are just geared more towards like a cinema goers, you know, tastes. Um, that's something I just, I, I think, think he, he really man, if you will. <laughs> yeah. He what? A uh, 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 thinking man's horror film. No, yeah. for sure. I, by the way, I just sent you. Yeah. Uh, you sent me what? Oh, in, in, in the uh, Twitter ch- uh, chat, I sent you the picture of the, the camera and then the Gordy's home, uh, the Gordy's home camera and the, the fucking alien uh, viewers. So you can see that it, it's like literally the exact same design. So it's very interesting little tidbit into Stephen Young's psychology, you know, that he I'm sure didn't even intend to design them to look that way. But that was just what he thought of as like the most horrors as a kid and the most horrifying <laughs> imagery, you know, like that's the, I, I like that little touch to it. Yeah, they're all watching me. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I Creepy. just very creepy um yeah i just really fucking great uh movie um and i just i don't know i don't think he's really even talked about what he's gonna do next but it just anything that he does is i i can't imagine him not putting the level of of quality and detail and work into gremlins three i want to see him make <laughs> gremlins three finally yeah yeah i know i'd watch that um <laughs> now he puts his name on a lot of things as a producer that are like maybe not quite as good you know like but it, that's a you know it, it, there's a big difference you know look about how many movies steven spielberg produced versus what he actually you know directed and wrote or in his heyday like there's there's definitely a quality difference um you know once once you're a fucking famous hollywood director people are just like hey can you put your name your name on this we'll give you you know five million dollars you're like right. uh, yeah of course like why what the fuck <laughs> do i have to do anything no all right great that's fine yeah jordan peele presents you know fucking right gremlins 3 or whatever um well i say that uh, purely because of the gremlins 2 uh pitch meeting sketch from uh key and peel which is one of the funniest fucking things well he probably would make it right right now he would probably make it for sure um (laughs) (laughs) i love it it's in the movie (laughs) one fun little thing uh i don't know if this is fun or not actually but one um thing I pulled from IMDb said, uh, let's see, when Jube is first describing the Gordy attack, he tells OG and Emerald that it lasted for six minutes and 13 seconds. Later on, when he is doing the show at the Star Lasso Experience, he says he first saw the alien six months ago at exactly 6.13 p.m. Uh-huh. So right. I don't know if there's a significance what? there or not. And you know that that story is probably... A, 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 like a total fantasy the one he tells about why oh, observe, of course. you know it, it's a total mate so that's why it's it a lot of it's intentional but a lot of it's just we we under we know that he disassociates when he thinks about something like because that would be the most traumatic you know moment in anyone's life seeing you know a bunch of people like 
beaten to death and or you know dismember you know maim being maimed had by their fucking, face chewed off oh yeah fucking brutal um by a by a you know rabid uh chimpanzee but yeah just just fucking incredible well, I mean, the thing is they don't understand is like you know anytime you see a chimp on tv or or you know not that they do it anymore now because because right. this is why because exactly anytime you sh- right they you you're seeing a baby chimp not a full-grown chimp because a full-grown chimp is could be 300 pounds we seem to think that like oh chimps they're little you know they're not like a gorilla it's fucking 600 pounds you know like a full-grown chimp is fucking huge and they have they're you know they're like super superhuman they fucking you know they could lift up a car <laughs> right? right so and again it's just it's it's the it's the anthropocentric worldview that we are somehow superior to animals that also makes us think that, you know, that we're somehow, you know, we can control them and make them like us, but somehow they won't have the same urges and desires as us at the same time. It's right. And we, we just think that anything that's cute can be a pet. Like it's just, we don't understand fundamentally that things are just not meant to, you know, be domesticated. Some most, most animals are not, you know, meant to be domesticated you can't even domesticate fucking house cats they do but whatever the fuck right. they want that's to the do. Like they, we, we sort of like you know d- through years of whatever like we're able to like create these sorts of breeds of, of domesticated animals but like they're still you know they have their ancestor roots and these these like you know sort of apex predators or, or you know cunning animals that were not at all you know friend to humans that were just like well i guess we can you know I mean, if you if you live alone and you die, your cat will start feeding on your corpse. That's right. how much it means. It's, it's still that's how much you mean to still in their yeah. DNA, right? One hundred percent. Like you know, the only thing stopping your cat from killing you in your sleep is the fact that you feed it. If right. it gets hungry enough, it will eat you. <laughs> no. Right. Um, your dog, the dogs, they've 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 bred it off of like the killer, uh, you know, instinct out of most dogs that it's like they're probably you know they they, they act genuinely are you know sort of in a codependent relationship with their with their owners especially if they're you know well treated but um it's it's that meme of the dog and the cat with a time machine you know that one oh yeah right yeah. <laughs> so a couple of those but yeah um yeah so i don't know i just yeah this is just incredible shit though from jordan peele as per usual throwing 100 miles an hour um could really just have his pick of and, and you know the other great thing i love about this movie and just you know as kind of a closing thing we could talk about is the idea that this is is like you said such a massive you know blockbuster spectacle movie and it's not a piece of ip it's an original completely original creation and that's something that's really missing from hollywood and only a very a very few a very a very small handful of 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 powerful directors have the ability to make those sorts of movies so I appreciate that he's not just like, oh, yeah, no, just give me a Marvel movie. Give me a whatever. Like, he's like, no, I'm going to make a real weird fucked up movie that's going to, you know, make hundreds of millions of dollars and, and be massive and, and be fucking awesome. And, like the way they used to make movies in the 80s, like in 90s. That's just the shit that they don't do anymore. So I, I, I appreciate that he has that sort of intentionality, too, because like, you know, that that that's just something I think is missing significantly uh, from Hollywood nowadays yeah i mean the the discourse is, is just hilarious to me we, we were referencing the uh the the star of uh marvel's shang chi uh who was bashing on tarantino and scorsese um you know because like you know they they've never had anything but white men in their movies really apparently guy right right no, that's um, right 
And they only picked that guy because he could do some martial arts, and and because he'd never been in a movie before, they could pay him fucking dirt. Right, he so, wasn't fucking, so the, it wasn't because yeah, of his the, fucking acting chops. It wasn't like, yeah. oh man, this guy. Always- the, the notion that Marvel was somehow benevolent, and you know, auteurs like Scorsese and uh, you know Coppola or Tarantino are somehow you know the gatekeepers of cinema because they, you know, because they want to make something make other than movies. a fucking franchise Marvel bullshit. Right, seriously. Right, unreal. Somebody, somebody, uh, you shared the tweet with me too. Somebody on Twitter was like, "Well, would the, you know, uh, or something, something like how the, um, you know, the stars of Marvel movies aren't the actors; it's the it's the characters they're playing." But the actors will, you know, get in costume and like go to children's hospitals and make kids happy, and and they were saying like, "Would you know, would would." Scorsese ever have something like that? And somebody was like, "Like, would you want a character from a Scorsese film to come visit a children's hospital?" <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, yeah, that was the tweet. It was like, which character, which Scorsese character do you want to visit a children? Like, just imagine Mark Wahlberg and his fucking like the little boot covers, like at the end of The Departed, walking into a children's yeah, hospital. or 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 a guy who might actually normally be in a children's hospital, Nicolas Cage from Bringing Out the Dead. Like, you would want <laughs> right. him nowhere near children. <laughs> Uh, Nicholas Cage in general, you probably don't want near children, just to be safe. No, but, um, no, you yeah. still got to watch that one too, don't you? Yeah, no, I haven't watched that one yet, but I, uh, I definitely oh. will. I like. He's I amazing. Love Nic- I love Nicholas Cage at his most unhinged, and I love Scorsese. So yeah, well, it's also got uh, Ving Rhames um, oh. just after Pulp Fiction. Awesome. Um, Tom Sizemore, uh, yeah, God, and John Goodman is in it. So oh, it's a fucking wow. classic, and it's got a murderous uh, row of critic, you know, criminally underused actors that are great character actors. Sounds yeah, like. yeah, and there's there's just some phenomenally funny scenes in this. It's a dark movie too, but it's it's mainly a comedy. But uh, right. and what's what's her name from um, True Romance is in it? Terrible um, politics girl. Uh, fucking uh, what's her face? I forget her name. Uh, she was in Severance. She was good at playing herself in Severance. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I forget her name, but in any event, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Um, all right. Well, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps us up uh, for this episode, though. But uh, I, <laughs> I at the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll do a quick, short, like 45 minute one hour and a half. in. But that's fine. It's just this movie is great. It deserved to be talked about for this long. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, you know, that I think that does it for us uh, this week. Uh, have a happy uh thanksgiving or you know whatever whatever day whatever day you celebrate uh the, you know the whatever whatever fictional you know story of, of america's founding you, you you know you celebrate uh this week have a good anthrax appreciation blanket day <laughs> <laughs> right um i said and, that wrong but you know what i meant yeah no i got we we got the gist of it for sure um yeah so yeah if, uh rate review subscribe wherever you get your podcasts follow us on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash move left check out our main feed uh our main show which is in the same feed which we uh review politics every week uh from a leftist socialist communist perspective um and uh facebook.com slash move left i am on twitter at move underscore left uh i'm on twitter at bike slutty and i will give this film four out of five hammer and sickles that is my my final review oh yeah yeah i'll yeah, yeah, give it four and a half four and a half out of five hammer and sickles <laughs> yeah four four out of five hammer and sickles and one extra hammer we'll, we'll do that as like a half, <laughs> half a star there you go, there you go. <laughs> Uh yeah. uh yeah, that's it. Good night. That's everybody. it. We'll see you next week. Don't